two Barclays analysts. One hot topic, all sides explored. This is The Flipside. The Flipside is a podcast series featuring lively debate between two Barclays research analysts, taking opposing viewpoints on timely topics of importance to economies and businesses around the globe. Welcome to the, this episode of The Flipside. My name is Jeff Melley. I'm the global head of research at Barclays. Now, in the last episode of The Flipside, we talked about three challenges facing the U.S. economy. One was the potential rise of Bernie Sanders as the Democratic nominee for president. That's faded a bit with Joe Biden's resurgence in the more recent primaries. A second was the risks posed by Boeing and the challenges that they face with the 737 MAX. Now, that hasn't gotten better, but it probably hasn't gotten worse. And actually, if anything, all of those risks are being overshadowed by the coronavirus, which was the third issue that we discussed. That's gotten a lot worse. Obviously, there have been market disruptions globally. We've had the worst price action in stocks since the global financial crisis. Now we have record low yields throughout the developed market. So, for example, U.S. Treasuries are at the lowest yield levels ever. And we've seen some emergency central bank action. For example, the New York, the U.S. Federal Reserve cut by 50 basis points intra-meeting uh, to try to calm markets. I'm joined today by Ajay Rajadox, our head of macro research, to discuss the economic risks posed by this virus in more detail. Thank you for having me, Jeff. At this point, I won't fight you on the idea that there will be economic disruption. I think that is a given. The question is how deep. You will see recessions in some economies for sure, but I think we really need to answer whether this actually ends up causing a global recession. I think we should define a global recession. According to the IMF, that means global growth less than 2.5%. So in the U.S., we're used to thinking of a recession as growth being negative. Why is a global recession defined differently? Well, that's because emerging markets like China tend to grow much more rapidly than the big developed market economies. Uh, and so the average across the world tends to be positive all the time. It's if it gets below that threshold, we think that there's been a, a global recession. I think to get below 2.5% growth globally, we would require both a sharp slowdown in some of the biggest emerging markets, plus a recession in some of the biggest developed markets. Now, look, I know it is hard to not get swayed by price action. It's hard to abstract from all the bad news, especially given the human consequences of COVID-19. But on the purely economic front, I still am hopeful that we will not see a global recession. There will be recessions, especially in parts of the euro area, but it's not clear that it will extend globally. And I'm hanging my hat on a couple of things. The first is that China does seem to have seen the back of the worst of this virus. It is getting back to work. Today, for example, a major uh, corporation CEO made the claim that all his factories in China were back online. So that economy took a big hit, but they're about to restart their engine. And that means that the other major economy, the United States, would have to get into, go into recession to get a global recession. And I think that remains unlikely. Think of the starting point. The United States entered 2020 with a head of steam. The consumer was in great shape. Labor markets were creating jobs for years and years and years at levels that we haven't seen. And financial wealth effects, both from equities and from housing, have also been stored up for several years. And even with the price action over the last few weeks, <clears throat> that I don't think has fully reversed. Second, 
the US does have more policy tools, both on the monetary policy side, but I would argue even on the fiscal side, there generally tends to be more political will to act in the United States than, say, in countries of the Euro area. Okay, so I actually think we are about to have a global recession, and I have a couple reasons why I think that those are going to overwhelm the positives that you just talked about, AJ. So first of all, this isn't just a hit to manufacturing. This is a hit to services. And services, you don't get that activity back. With manufacturing, there's usually a bounce back. You make up for lost ground. That's not how a drop in services activity works. Second, accompanying the COVID-19 concerns, we've seen a massive oil bust. Now, that used to be a positive for the U.S. economy because we were net importers of energy. But now, the U.S. is actually the world's largest energy producer. There's a, over a million jobs involved in the, in the oil sector alone in the U.S., so an oil bust actually now, I think, is a net negative for the U.S. Um, third, there's definitive pressures through the rest of the world. Um, Europe is a focal point, Italy in particular. Um, and fourth, we're just getting started on cases here. So we're already seeing things like segregations in certain parts of Westchester County, which has been a bit of a hot spot uh, for COVID-19. Uh, but if you look at the Italy case numbers, you can see that you can get exponential growth in the exposure to this virus, and we're only scratching the surface potentially um, here in the U.S. So let's get into it. All right, I'm going to concede one point right off the bat. I think we both agree that Europe is likely to go into a recession, and it is probably going to be reasonably severe. I don't think it quite ri rivals that double dip between 2011 to 2013. That one, if you remember, they had six straight quarters of contraction, and, it, and I don't think we get anywhere close to that. But I acknowledge that what Italy has done is quite draconian. They have, especially given the size of their population, the size of their economy, they started by quarantining their main economic engine. There will be knock-on effects not just from tourism, but on the broader services sector, and it's not clear to me that some version of that is not repeated in some of the other countries in Europe. So yes, the Euro area is going to have a significant recession. I concede that. Yeah, I agree. And and I think, you know, there's uh, linkages between Northern Italy and, and other of the economic powerhouses in, in Europe, such as France and Germany. Um, so you're likely to see uh, effects, uh, effects there as well. And I think the other point to consider is that Europe just doesn't have that much of a buffer from a starting point. Growth in Europe is pretty anemic, talking about something like on the order of 1% a year. So there's just not that much of a contraction that they can handle before uh, before it actually becomes a recession. It's also true that, that um, in certain dimensions, policy is kind of maxed out there already. So for example, the European Central Bank, the ECB, has instituted negative rates now for years. We talked about that in a prior episode of The Flip Side. Um, uh, they're already buying not just government debt, but also corporate bonds, so already um, doing quantitative easing well in excess of what the, the U.S. Federal Reserve uh, ever did during the financial crisis here. There's just not that many more levers for policymakers over there to pull. Well, there is one big lever, I would argue, still left. I, I agree with you on the monetary policy side, but this is the time for the fiscal side to step up. Look at all-in bond deals across the euro area, even in Italy, but especially in bigger economies like Germany. And you could argue that the bond markets are screaming for new fiscal stimulus from the government that ends up pushing these economies out of the recession that they are <coughs> about to go into. And there are some steps in that direction. The G Germans have made noises about walking away from their debt break. 
the United Kingdom's Prime Minister <coughs> has, for a while now, promised lots of new fiscal stimulus. He promised that in the context of uh, the EU-UK trade negotiations, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't help if the UK economy is facing a challenge associated with COVID-19. Even Italy, <coughs> today morning, for example, they announced that they would uh, push for a $28 billion uh, stimulus package. These are not small numbers, and if absolutely needed, those numbers could well go up. Germany in particular, I would say, is an economy where the vast majority of sovereign debt is not just in negative territory, it is also the one major economy in the world where f there is a ton of fiscal space. Their fiscal profile has improved every year for the last several, and now is the time to put it to work. Well, I hear you, AJ, on the, uh, on the need for some fiscal stimulus, but nonetheless, I think we're in agreement that regardless of actions that the, the authorities might take, we are talking about a pretty substantial component of the global economy going into recession. Yeah, but the euro area has flattered to deceive for much of the last several years. 2018, 2019, Europe's largest and third largest economy, two years in a row, flirted with recession. Uh, Germany, for example, barely avoided a technical recession in the fourth quarter of 2018, as far back as then. And the world economy in general was okay. I think China is the key. The fact is that the euro area is probably sliding into recession, but the hope is that China has turned the corner, at least in terms of getting back to work. The quarantine steps that are clearly working, there is uh, an incentive on the part of the government to make sure that growth doesn't slow down far too much. And it is a command and control economy. And there are advantages to a command and control economy in situations like this that Western purely market-oriented economies do not have. So yes, there's been a ton of damage so far. I, 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 it, it's very hard to argue that that is not the case. But the question is where we go going forward. Okay, let's think about, about the potential resurgence of China here. I think that's an interesting question because on the one hand, um, it does look like the number of cases has declined dramatically and we are hearing you know, about uh, folks get, getting back to work. But we don't know if the virus would start spreading again once people, you know, start getting back to work and start, um, you know, interacting with each other again. Like you mentioned, China took some pretty aggressive steps, um, steps that I think a less authoritarian government might have struggled to actually implement. We'll see how these things work in Italy and, and, and in other jurisdictions. Um, but I think there is a risk that this actually starts spreading again, which would be like a double dip in China, which I think would be very damaging. Second, I think um, there's an, a kind of an open question here. It's great if China gets back to work. They're a big export economy. But who are they going to sell to? If everybody else in the world is having their own economic troubles, it's not obvious that there's going to be any customers for the stuff that they're making. Uh, fair points, both. Here's the thing, Jeff. At this point, to see a global recession, assuming that China has turned the corner, in terms of the drag on economic activities, the numbers have to yet to play out, but in terms of actual economic activity on the ground, assuming that Q2 in China is significantly better than Q1, to get a global recession going forward, you really need the United States to slip into one. And I don't think we will. The main reason for that is the starting point. The US entered 2020 with a head of steam. The US labor markets have been very, very strong for years and years. The household savings rate for the US consumer was a very healthy 75 to 8% entering this period. Wealth effects, even after the pullback that we've had in global equities and U.S. equities are still generally positive 
especially when you factor in the, the 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 rise in home prices over the last several years and it takes a lot to undo that to the point of two negative quarters okay so first there's no doubt that the labor market in the US has been a, an amazing source of strength for the economy however i think full employment like we've been experiencing for multiple years now can be a tenuous equilibrium so layoffs can happen very quickly if you have a loss of business confidence and a lack of concern around losing access to employees. So what I mean by that is, you know, if you're a company that enters a period of difficulty where left to your own devices, you might cut back on your workforce somewhat, but you're worried that all your competitors will hire those people. And once you overcome whatever problems you face, you're going to have a hard time hiring them back because they'll have moved on to new jobs then you might think twice about letting people go in the first place. So in other words, full employment can be sort of self-fulfilling, right? But it could also go very quickly the other direction. So for example, take what's happening in the energy sector in the US. At this point, there is no doubt that the weakest players must lay people off in order to have any chance of surviving the, the big declines in oil prices. That means even the stronger players would not be worried about not being able to rehire employees if and when oil prices rebounded they could take measures now to cut back on costs and 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 probably be in safe territory you know once oil recovered so i think we we should be careful about full employment being very tenuous it's true that the job gains have been r quite remarkable up until now but i think they could turn on a dime and the second is about uh, about wealth effects like the math is the math and and uh, and the stock market is still way up since it was in 2016 and and actually still up since it was at the depths of 2018 too uh, but i think volatility acts as its own drag actually on confidence so regardless of the nominal prices the fact that markets are whipping around like this has to be scaring businesses and consumers so you made two points chef and i'm going to push back with two of my own your last point about job losses now, this is going to sound a little perverse, but one of the things we have realized about this cycle is that the amount of economic growth required to keep people in their jobs is just lower than in past cycles. Take Germany as an example. I told you, they've flirted with recession twice in two years, and yet the German unemployment rate is close to all-time lows. Similar with the United Kingdom, it slowed down in the negotiations around Brexit, and yet the amount of people employed in the UK is at all-time highs. Normally, that implies that productivity is poor, but in this particular episode, where growth is slowing down, that might just mean fewer jobs lost than otherwise. The second is, there is some help that policy can do. Payroll tax cuts, for example, which have been, which have been floated in the United States, that makes it easier for companies to keep people employed for an extended period, even if some of those people can't show up at work for, for reasons to do with this virus for two weeks, four weeks, et cetera. Well, look, I think there are legislative actions that could be taken in the U.S. to mute the effect of the virus. I think the issue around their efficacy would be one of timing. So they need to be done now before companies actually start to take action and reduce their workforce or cut costs. So to me, it's a really an issue of, of whether the government would be able to act fast enough to keep us from sliding into a lower employment um, equilibrium. And I think you mentioned payroll tax cut as, uh, as one possibility, and I agree that that would be a step that would 
basically reduce the costs associated with maintaining your workforce, and that would be a positive, plus it also obviously would increase the amount of money flowing to consumers. There's other legislative proposals that have been floated that whilst may make perfect sense on the human side, may actually work in the opposite direction on the economic side. So for example, there's been talk about mandating sick leave uh, that's paid. Now, of course, in the midst of a health scare and virus, on the human side, that could make a lot of sense, and, and, and we would not want to dismiss that. On the economic side, that could actually raise the costs associated with maintaining your workforce if that's imposed on employers as opposed to paid for by the government. And if that was the case, that might actually hasten the move towards a, a lower um, employment equilibrium. So I think the nuances on the policy side are actually going to matter for whether this helps or hurts on the pure economics. That is true, but I think we have to go with the starting point that the policies made are generally likely to be helpful than not. And at least on the monetary policy side, I would say that it's an unequivocal positive. The U.S. Central Bank will not only go to the zero lower bound, more importantly, because of how clean, how well-behaved the inflation profile in the United States has been for the last decade, they are likely to stay there for the next several quarters, even if inflation does make a comeback. That kind of certainty actually helps a lot, especially for financial assets. And you know what? That, whether we like it or not, does matter to the real economy. Go back to 2008 or even any other recession. Usually, there tends to be a negative feedback loop between financial markets falling, financial conditions tightening, and then that feeding into the real economy, and, and, and so on and so forth. And that cycle, I think, I hope, will not build up this time. Well, you know, I guess a question I have, AJ, on that is, what is the role of monetary policy in this specific instance? So keep in mind, the Fed had already cut rates several times before COVID-19 really spiked. Rates were extremely low. I think it would be one thing to say you don't expect a funding crisis like we had in the financial crisis. Okay, so we're not expecting banks not to be able to fund themselves um, or, or money funds to have problems. I, I would agree with all of that. And so the severity of the recession may not be uh, anything like what we experienced during the last, um, during the last cycle. Uh, but it's not obvious that lower rates are really going to help economic activity like this. If you're worried about leaving your house, I'm not sure that the next 50 basis points of cuts from the Fed actually makes you go on vacation, right? So at, at some level, this is, this is such a non-standard event that I'm not sure the standard tools are really uh, fit for purpose. I, I would also say that one of the consequences of the financial crisis is that banks have been disintermediated by other lenders in, in, a lot, in large parts of the economy. And one important part where that's taken place is what's called SMEs, or small and medium-sized enterprises. Basically, small businesses don't get their money from banks anymore. They get their money from third-party lenders. It's not easy for the Fed or any other central bank to figure out how to keep that kind of credit channel operating. They normally put money into the banking system, which then lends it on to, to those sorts of enterprises. 50% of employment in the U.S. is at these sort of small companies. If they run out of credit, you could see the job losses escalate very quickly. All right. So, look, I agree that monetary policy is not a silver bullet for everything, especially the problems posed by this crisis. And you are right that the SME sector, the sector that doesn't actually tie itself closely to the financial markets, is a sector that is harder for the U.S. Central Bank to get to. 
but the fed also wears a regulatory hat they can move ease ease conditions on that side they can direct banks to pro and tell them that there will be regulatory relief that they should not be that quick to call in loans pull lines of credit turn off revolvers etc for small and medium enterprises it, again it it won't be perfect and there will be challenges along the way but ultimately i think it's a question of degrees and recessions usually happen you know not a slowdown but an actual recession because financial markets do play a role in making things worse and making people feel much worse and i think that will happen to a much lesser extent this time well aj there's a couple of issues that you haven't mentioned that i think are leaning against the us here one is uh, the route in oil so oil prices have fallen largely in response to demand destruction associated with covid-19 also because of disputes within opec at this point the us has over a million jobs in the energy sector those are definitely at risk at this point well that might be the case chef but we have seen this movie before we saw this a similar decline in oil prices in 2015 and the overall us labor market held up pretty darn well a final point for me aj is that this is really just the beginning of of our experience with the virus here in the us the caseload is still manageable just look at the numbers in italy it went exponential it was seven cases several weeks ago it's now over 10000 very quickly got to a point where it was risking overwhelming their their health system if that were to occur here i think you know all bets are off in terms of the implications on the economy so i'll say a couple of things uh, first the united states is a more economically heterogeneous and just a bigger country europe as we know is more densely populated and as a result you would imagine that the virus is quicker to spread the other is that there are lessons to be learned from what south korea has done what what taiwan has done these countries took the first hit and if we learn from what they have done i think we can go a long way towards mitigating the economic impact of covid-19 okay thanks for joining this episode of the flipside clients can read our latest research on the virus and its economic and market implications under #virus available on barclays live That's all for now from this Barclays podcast. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time on the flip side. For more insights about this topic, clients can log into Barclays Live or find out more at barclays.com/ib.